but making an intentional objective process. Because I find that when people say to themselves, oh, things are starting to level out. The economy's doing some weird shit that they're like, I'm going to go out and start doing marketing and business development. And they commit random acts of marketing and business development. Welcome to a different practice. I'm your host, Lauren Lester, and I'm obsessed with all things business, well-being, and optimizing the practice of law for solo and small firm lawyers. I started my solo practice right out of law school, built it from the ground up, and now work four days a week while earning well over six figures. I'm here to share tangible, concrete tips and resources for ditching the legal profession's antiquated approach and building a law practice that optimizes growth and enjoyment. Think of this as grabbing coffee with your work bestie, mixed with all the stuff they didn't teach you in law school about how to run a business. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to be encouraged and challenged. This is a different practice. This idea that we're taught a limited view of what it means to be a part of the legal profession doesn't apply only to how we practice, but also to how we run our businesses. Today, we're going to explore the myth of what successful business development actually looks like and why the unfair standard we often measure ourselves against is putting us at a disadvantage. Our guest, Holly Boraccio, explains why sales isn't a four-letter word and how it can be elevated up to an act of service. As managing director at Growth Play, Holly helps lawyers leverage their business development strengths and find authentic approaches to improve their sales performance. An experienced business development coach and trainer who has worked in the legal industry for more than 18 years, Holly has partnered with some numerous firms to help attorneys master business development fundamentals. Prior to joining Growth Play, Holly was the head of marketing and client services for a Chicago-based law firm where she led the firm's business development efforts, attorney coaching initiatives, and client service interviews. She graduated from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She is a passionate ice hockey fan and player and lives in Chicago with her partner, Jason, and their three cats. With her wealth of knowledge and experience, Holly shares practical tips for how to drive more predictable revenue from authentic relationship building, how to create intentional client experiences that foster loyalty, and how to feel empowered to invest your time in business development how you want to, not how you think you should. There is so much goodness in here. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive in. Welcome, Holly, to A Different Practice. We're so excited to have you here today. Well, thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted to jump in by getting a little bit of your background and sort of what inspired you to help lawyers, um, as y'all say, leverage their business development strengths and find authentic approaches to improve their sales performance, which is not something we hear a lot with lawyers in the legal profession. So I'm really curious, how did you get here? What is your story? Yeah. Well, my story is um, I, like so many other people I find in the marketing and business development space, kind of fumbled into it for a long time. Being that I was the first in my family to go to college, I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. I was always told as a child that I would be um, a good person to argue with or always conveyed my opinion and point of view. But being that I didn't know any real practicing lawyers, I graduated from the University of Michigan moved from Detroit to Chicago, and just started working in law firms. 
And it was at that point that I realized, having seen firsthand what that lifestyle looked like and talking to a lot of partners that I'm still friends with today, I realized, one, practicing wasn't for me, but it afforded me the opportunity to realize there were all of these other jobs within law firms, jobs that, quite frankly, no one tells you about when you're getting your undergraduate degree. So to get exposure to professional development, marketing, business development, practice management, legal project management was an eye opener to me. And so that's how I got myself into law firms. And I stayed here for 18 years and I don't have any plans on moving away. But why I'm passionate about helping people find their authentic approach to business development is because there's such a limited view of what successful business development actually looks like. Having worked in the industry for so many years and talking to lawyers who confess they didn't go to law school to become full-time salespeople, I find that we get fixated on what that limited view looks like. And not only does that perpetuate the myth about what drives success in business development, it also is this unfair standard that I find lawyers who are accustomed to being high achievers, best in the class, always has the right answers puts them at a real disadvantage. And it prevents a lot of people who have great potential from even getting out of the starting blocks because they look around and say, I'm not a networker like that person, or I don't have that kind of network like so-and-so has. And so they limit their potential just by that comparative analysis. And that's where I come into play. I'd like to tell people there are tons of ways in which you can engage and be wildly successful at business development. And my job here is to help them find that right mindset, teach them the framework, and then help them empower themselves to take advantage of their own styles and strengths. And this is such an important conversation because from our perspective as lawyers, that hits the nail on the head because you're right, even in law school and once we get out of the profession, it's a very narrow box and definition that we see as you're successful if you check off these three things. And a lot of times it is the law and order litigator, very charismatic, right? Like the TV personality. And for those of us who are like, I am nowhere near any of those things. Am I a failure? Like, cause that's what success is. So it's so important to have folks like you and have this conversation say, no, 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 there's a million ways you can be successful. Let's throw out that traditional one size fits all model and find something that actually works with you. So tell me a little bit about how that has morphed into or plays into what the mission of growth play is and what growth play is and what y'all do. Yeah, I would say the driving impetus behind our business is we're on this mission to change the way that people think about sales because it is so rooted in being transactional swarmy, disingenuous, self-serving. And we approach it from this aspect of why does it have to be that way? It's almost like a four-letter word. Like sales is, is like- It's a dirty-four-letter word. Yeah. Like, ugh. I couldn't agree more. And so if we're going to challenge that on its face, then we come to the market and say, you know what? Sales can actually be elevated. It can be elevated up to an act of service. And when we think about the interconnectedness that we have as human beings, what drives successful communities, it really is rooted in acts of service, being a good human to someone else, serving as a good listener, asking thoughtful questions, and 
facilitating ideas, opinions, introductions to other humans, that's for the benefit of someone else. If we really think about what drives successful sailing, it is really that. And so we are, we channel that mission through helping firms and other professional services providers think about where and how they can drive more predictable revenue that's rooted in authentic relationship building. We're also trying to um, help professional services providers think about an intentional client experience that engenders long-term loyalty. And lastly, we help take care of individual people within those organizations so that they can feel empowered to take control of where and how they want to invest their time when it comes to business development and also give them the control over their own careers to say, this is what I want to do long-term. This is who I want to work with. These are the types of problems I want to solve for clients. And therefore, it ends up becoming a long-term retention tool. And people feel like they're giving their best selves to their organizations and to their clients. So that's what we're all about. I love that reframing of sales as an act of service. Because I think a lot of lawyers went into this profession wanting to help people. And I know I personally feel we are, I am in the service business. I need to serve uh, my clients. So I'm curious for our profession in particular, how, or what is an example of how that act of service that a sale is sort of looks like for an attorney, whether it's immigration or family law or litigation, sort of how can our listeners take that idea and apply it to their practice? The magic answer, Lauren, is look at what you're already doing for clients that call on you, who value your opinion, want to bounce ideas off of you, need your advice and counsel to support their businesses or for them personally. It's all the same. You have earned the right because you've asked the right questions. You've spent time getting to know and understand and appreciate their risk tolerance, sensitivities, personal interests, as well as professional interests. So you've earned the spot to actually be positioned to then offer proactive advice and counsel. Hey, I am observing this in other similarly situated clients. I'd like to talk to you about whether or not this is on your radar and what we should be doing to think about that. And yes, while we're positioning a thought that maybe someone hasn't brought to us, all of that due diligence and time invested in building an authentic relationship actually affords us the opportunity to look for more problems that could be solved. And the difference between elevating that to an act of service versus going the traditional stereotypical sales route is there's going to be mutual interest because it's tailored, because we've spent the time figuring out with greater specificity, what do our clients actually need? And when that mutual interest is expressed back, guess what? Sales takes care of itself. Right. And we don't have to convince someone that they need to hire us to come in for that expertise. They actually want it. And it's done in a conversational manner. It doesn't even feel like sales. And I guarantee it. If you were to poll any of your lawyers that you're working with right now, Lauren, and walk them through what they're doing to actively counsel clients on a day-to-day -day basis... They're already, they're already exhibiting some of those qualities and characteristics. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just a reframing. And I always loved the concept of thinking of sales as just a conversation because that's all it is. It's not this sleazy, like I'm trying to sell you, you know, ice to an Eskimo. It's 
a conversation. What does this client need? And am I listening and pulling out those details and not just selling them? Here's the one size fits all service offering we have. And you're going to have to be smashed into that whether you need it or not. Absolutely. And if you think about all the examples we are very familiar with right now, if you just roll through your inbox and see how many spam-like emails you've received about things that you never thought you ever needed nor had interest in, that is why sales get such a bad reputation. Versus if you use the information that you've actively sought to seek out, it's a can't miss. And it's more about educating people or empowering them to make the best decision for them And as lawyers, we're just providing facts. We're giving points of view. We're sharing some insights based on past experience for that other person's benefit. And that benefit is going to help them make the right decision about who they want to hire for counsel to help them with their problem. Now, Growth Play recommends that lawyers practice the platinum rule. So I'm very curious what this is because I'm just intrigued by the name. Share with us, what is the platinum rule? Absolutely. And Lauren, I'd love to start by answering with a different rule that is probably super familiar to everyone, which is the golden rule. Like, treat me the way that I want to be treated. And it works extremely well in the context of teaching people norms and sensitivities to really get in tune with personal preferences. And yet, when we think about the investment required of lawyers to make in building authentic relationships with the people in their network, we have to live by a higher calling. We cannot treat you the way that I want to be treated. In fact, I have to adopt the platinum rule, which is to consciously think about What is in Lauren's best interest? And to frame every invitation, introduction, insight or information that I want to share or present to you as an option, it all has to be tailored to you. And that really infiltrates every aspect of business development, as well as existing daily interactions with the clients that we already serve. I found it very interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, to the middle of the pandemic, to whatever state we're in now, how much individual preferences have changed. And I found that the lawyers who got in tune with going back to their brightest and best clients or the prospective clients that they were trying to invest in and just asking, how are you doing these days? What's changed for you in your new daily operations? How's the intersection of professional time with home time and all of that blended gray area in between? Is there anything I need to be aware of in our relationship that is the highest application of the platinum rule? One, suspending your own self-interest and realizing if you don't know, you should just ask. Human beings, we're all really good at telling you what our preferences are, but the simple act of asking for confirmation to, in my book, that is the highest application of the platinum rule. And then it's the adherence to that over the course of time. We all have clients right now who would much prefer a five-minute phone call instead of four email exchanges that are six scrolls deep. I also know that clients are, you know, I would prefer a text message instead of a quick 15-minute phone call. And so to think about where and how can you take the mindset of it's about what fits the needs and interests of the other person, that's where the platinum rule is going to come into play. What a great opportunity. I love just the simple question of how are you doing? Like, isn't that a nice touch point to reach out to clients that maybe you haven't talked to in a while? 
hey, just how you doing? You know, we've had a lot going on in the world. (laughs) How are you doing? It's so simple, but it's so personal. And then to use that as possibly an opportunity to say, we want to make sure we're serving you in the way you need to be served right now. Like you said, their preferences may have changed. You know, send out a quick survey. You know, are you still a phone person or has text become easier because you've had a baby and who talks on the phone, right? Text is way easier because I've got, I'm holding a newborn or whatever it is. So I think that's, it's so simple. I think that's where it gets overlooked because it feels like, well, if it's simple, it can't be that impactful. Like we're, we're lawyers. We're very, you know, we're smart and we have really complex ideas that we come with and we make these very nuanced arguments. So to ask someone, how are you doing? Just feels like not, not enough, but it really is so impactful. It is. And Lauren, I always go back to all the lawyers that I have the privilege in coaching and I'll ask some point blank questions like, how do you know? Did they confirm this is their preference or what behaviors or requests indicate that this is indeed the way in which this client wants you to engage them? And I'm shocked at how many say, I don't know, or I've assumed, (laughs) or this is how it was before and the failure to take into consideration how their lives have changed. You know, your comment made me think about uh, a situation that I found myself in about six months into the pandemic. And at the time, uh, me and a friend, we were hosting roundtables within house council. And we had about 40 of them on the line. And we were just asking point blank, what do you guys need right now? If you were to, if anything was a possibility, what do you want? And someone unmuted quicker than a lightning flash and was like, someone to care about me. And I was like, yeah. Say more about that. And she said, I am getting so much information. It's silly. I can't take in another invitation to a webinar about COVID, or I don't have the time to read through a checklist because I am inundated with that stuff. But you know what? I wish someone would just ask me, how am I doing? Do I have my sanity in check? And to me, that's a helpful reminder that At the end of the day, the people who are going to outlive COVID and maintain a relationship with their clients or the lawyers who will get spoken about when their clients are not around them, but their clients are talking to their friends in their network. And they're going to say things like, wow, you know who you need to call right now to help on that? Lauren, they're going to endorse you when you are not around. It's the lawyers who do not conflate I do good work for you and I talk to you on a consistent basis only about the work with, I care about you as a human. I am proactively investing in our relationship and that is independent and above and beyond doing the job that I'm getting paid for. I really Mm -hmm. think that's a huge distinction. And when I am interviewing buyers of legal services, they often tell me there are two camps of lawyers that I have in my life. There's the indispensable category and there's the fungible category. The fungible category is comprised of lawyers who are doing great work for me, giving me what I need for my business, but I couldn't tell you a single distinguishing factor characteristic about them. And then the I cannot live without these lawyers category, they are close personal friends now, even if they didn't start off as friends. The duration of our relationship, the diversity of our relationship, 
has afforded us the opportunity to become close personal friends. So much so that they know what's my favorite beer to drink, or they know the names of my children or grandchildren, or I will call them to talk about any topic under the sun because I just respect their opinion. And I know that they would bring a good conversation to my doorstep. Those are the indispensable lawyers. So for those who are going to listen to this podcast, I would point blank ask you, what camp do you think you fall in right now with your most important clients? And what steps could you take to start investing in those relationships so you can move yourself closer towards that indispensable category? What do you see is the biggest mistake someone makes either probably unknowingly, like they just heard you and were like, I want to be in the indispensable camp. I want to be that that lawyer for my clients. So I'm going to try and take a more personal approach. I'm going to make a connection. I'm going to not have our conversations just be business. I'm going to say, hey, how, how are your kids doing? How are you doing? But what do you see lawyers do just because of our nature or because of our training that's maybe a mistake or is a hindrance to becoming that indispensable lawyer? Yes. I would say they're stuck in the friend zone with real friends. So I can think of the top three requests that I get in coaching about issues or objectives that lawyers want to address. And I would say in the number one or number two position would be, I have friends or I have a member in my family, or I have a neighbor, or I have a parent of kids that my kids play with or play sports with. And they know what I do. They know I'm a lawyer. I know what they do. We are not doing business together. Mm, But we should be. Yes, and should be. Or there's a variation of all of my very best friends from law school are now important decision makers in-house or have ventured out and become entrepreneurs and they are like solo GCs for a startup business or a privately held company. And they call me from time to time and we talk about work light stuff, but I am clearly in the friend zone. So I would say that's probably the, the biggest blind spot. And what I realize in working through that are a couple of observations. One, They have conflated the social interactions that they have for quality conversations that actually lends itself towards business. And when I break down kind of where these conversations happening, what's the context? I realize that they are hanging out with their friends in social sittings. They're hanging out with other friends. They're going to brunch on the weekends. They're standing alongside the sports field while their kids are playing. And of course, it's awkward to bring up business or have a meaningful conversation about, so why don't you want to work with me or work with my firm? And so observation number one is I encourage lawyers to change the environment. you got to change the context. So if you are wise and you're using that social time to gather small nuggets of information, like what are they trying to accomplish? How did they end up the year? What are they most excited about coming into 2023, et cetera? Then they can take elements of that information and change the environment. Ask your friends if they would be willing to speak to you during business hours during the work week. 
call on their expertise or their position being in-house and have a good substantive dialogue. You could even plant that seed on the weekend while you're amongst friends or in a social environment to whisper on the side to say, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about something, but it's business related. Maybe we can grab coffee during the week or we can jump on a quick 15 minute phone call. And all of a sudden, your friend's going to say absolutely because they're invested in you and they know that you wouldn't bring a boring conversation to their doorstep. And yet when the time comes to have it, the environment is actually more conducive to talking shop. So that's observation number one. Observation number two is um, the assumption that the people closest to us actually know what we do on a daily basis. One of my all-time favorite stories is working with an employee benefits lawyer who was convinced explaining what they do wasn't fruitful. She's like, Holly, I've heard the you got to have an elevator pitch and all that jazz. But I don't really see it making any material difference. Ironically enough, she happened to be hosting a social event on a Saturday at her home, of which one of her very good friends was going to be there. She was in-house counsel for a large publicly traded company. She thought she knew what she did for a living. And likewise, her friend knew what she did for a living. However, she acquiesced and was like, I'll try this quick pitch thing in because I have some other folks who are coming. Fine, if you make me, Holly. (laughs) I twist my arm. She goes and she's actually talking to someone else in this group in her home. And she's like, and this gentleman asked her, so what do you do? And she said, oh, well, I'm an employee benefits lawyer. But essentially what I do is make sure that all employees that I work with get the access to the right health care plans that they need. So it's kind of fun making sure that companies are taking good care of their employees. And her friend heard this and looked at her and was like, wait, what? And she said, she repeated herself. And then she's like, I thought you were a tax lawyer. She's like, no, definitely not. And it was this crystal clear moment where she will never forget this about how she had taken for granted that the people closest to her actually knew what she did. So- advice and counsel to others, really put that to the test. And maybe think about how you are describing your practice or the value you could bring. Perhaps you should routinize it in something that is more direct and example driven. So if you say, I am counseling companies to take care of their employees through retirement plans or health and welfare plans, or I am helping other publicly traded companies with their privacy issues for everything from policy writing to compliance, or people will call me when they have local disputes, whether it's a breach of contract or something else. That's what I'm known for. Maybe we need to stop saying our logistical information, our title, our practice area, and get down to where do we actually have value? And more importantly, what do we want to do more of? And that kind of goes back to I find business development to be really empowering for people because it's a chance to say, what do I want to do with my time and where do I want to spend it? The third observation I have about being stuck in the friend zone is at some point, you're just going to have to tell your friend the truth. And if you haven't come clean or you haven't found a way to make that feel comfortable, conversational and not sales like, maybe you need to dream out loud in front of them. Because if they truly are your friend and you guys have had a lot of trials, tribulations together, and you guys have been through ups and downs, 
something tells me they're invested in wanting to be part of your ecosystem, as well as they are invested in seeing you be happy and being successful. So what if you made an observation and asked a question? I have had this moment in time where I've realized now we work way too hard in our nine to fives to not do it with people we really enjoy. And so a personal mission of mine this year is to figure out ways in which I can be a greater resource to all of my friends. And if you have ever thought about this or if you've ever had interest in how we might be able to work together or how my firm could be of value to your business, I would, I would take your request at how we could start that conversation. And by following that formula, observation about why we're friends in the first place, stating your interest, I thought it would be fun to do business with friends, and then asking for that person's advice or counsel. I find that formula is a conversation that feels very familiar to many, and it is the act of explicitly stating what your intentions are. And because you're not coming out and being like, Lauren, can you send me a file? Can you give me your next case? Can you put me on your next deal? I'm not going to pigeonhole you into forcing an answer on something that you may or may not be comfortable doing. But by making it a little more open-ended where I'm going to let you engage me the way you're going to feel most comfortable, now I'm going to be in a position to plan for best case, likely case, worst case scenario. And I often find that it's more often the case that it's the likely or best case scenario that plays out when we tell our friends what we're up to because right. they want to help. Right. I think we're just often afraid to ask because as lawyers, we assume the worst. We, we know yeah. all the worst things that could happen because we plan for them. So we assume they're going to be like, hell no, you know, some crazy reaction. And I think you're right. I think most of the time they want to, but it really is that ask which can be the hardest part, but actually explicitly doing that. Um, and, you know, if they say no, that's okay. I, my guess is if they're your friend, they're not going to be a jerk about it. <laughs> but okay. it just may not be right for them. It's not going to ruin the relationship. So, yeah, you put yourself out there. But, you know, that's kind of being in business, honestly, is putting ourselves out there. It is. And there's benefit even if you get information that is not what we anticipated hearing. For example... I've had other partners and lawyers do this in the past, and their friends have told them the truth. They have told them things like, I've been thinking for a long time about trying to bring you in for opportunities. And the truth of the matter is, we don't pay our bills. <laughs> or I don't want to put you in a position where you're going to have to fight my CFO, my accounting team to get your bills paid. So I'm actually doing this as a benefit to you. I've had others who have lived this out say, you know what? It's I'm not actually the decision maker. Mm. And so the real decision maker is a different person or we rule by committee. And so now that empowers the lawyer who had that conversation with their friend to figure out, well, then what's the best way to build a relationship with their colleagues? And I'll tell you, the answer is not to go out and sell those colleagues directly, but to really Get to know them and establish yourself as someone who is known, like, and trusted with those fellow colleagues. And even better, you have an ally who I'm confident would help facilitate the introduction and would champion you behind the scenes. 
And when those colleagues felt a level of comfort and familiarity with that lawyer, is it likely that they're going to get a shot at representing them or to get brought in for an initial conversation? I do. Yeah. Probably a really good one with those, yeah, back channels, you know, yeah. I mean, that no like and trust and recommendation, man, that goes a long way. It does. So for someone who is hopefully soaking this all up like I am and being like, there's so many nuggets here, what's the best thing you would say for a solo or small firm attorney who's like, okay, I'm going to focus on having a conversation. I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm going to go back to basics and ask simple questions. But that's, that's a lot of things to do. And I got a lot of other things to do. So what's the one best thing we can start with to kind of go down this road? Oh, yes. Get clear on who is most deserving of the time. Mm. Right? When, when lawyers are living their lives in six-minute increments, it can be easy to say to yourself, what's the better investment of my time? Billing this time and most likely going to get paid for it or investing this time in building a relationship, asking these smart questions and knowing that the benefit isn't going to come until down the road. And I think the best practical advice is, is to let that be an informed answer. I always like to tell my clients and the lawyers that I have the pleasure of working with is prioritization of individual contacts is their best investment for business development time. Because it, you need another person to call you. You need someone to uh, actually hire you in, to, in order to get the next signed engagement letter. It's not going to get done when you go to conferences. No one hires you at a conference. No one hires you when you get off the stage from speaking. And no one very rarely hires you upon reading some thought leadership piece that you put out. But by positioning yourself to be top of mind in interactions, that's when we get hired. So I would say get very clear on who are your priority contacts. And I might, I might approach it from a couple of ways. Number one is thinking about what's the maturation of your current network. Sometimes the easiest place for lawyers to win is to go back to the clients that we helped with one and done things. Because again, our brains are hardwired to move on to the next billable project. It makes it very easy to forget about that person we helped three years ago, four years ago, and never stayed in a relationship with them to figure out, are there other issues, concerns, or opportunities where we could be helpful? So sometimes it's an exercise of looking through our Wayback Machine and saying, are there dormant people who already know me, like me, trust me, and it's, it's incumbent upon me to reconnect and figure out what are they doing today? That might be a good investment of your time. Or to look at the existing relationships you have right now and ask yourself, how often are we talking about other needs and interests outside of the task at hand? Might that be an easy conversation for you to implement the next time you're on a status call or you're walking through what the next steps of the work is going to be? Take two minutes to say, hey, I don't think I've asked you broadly speaking, what else is going on with the business? Or what's going on with you personally? That might afford us the opportunity to grow and expand that relationship. And then lastly, really think about if I wanted to go out and get new clients. Who are the 
brightest contacts that I have that are in decision-making spots? And what do I need to know about them and about their business and about the way that they work with outside counsel that would empower me to say, I am really interested and invested at going after them and it's worth the time. And then I would encourage people listening to this podcast to ask themselves, if I were to think about that other person in my network, what do I think is their level of interest in potentially doing business with me and doing business with my firm? And how do I compare to what they currently have in place or the other lawyer or lawyers with whom they're working? And how do I stack up against the, co the competition? But make it an intentional, objective process, because I find that when people say to themselves, oh, things are starting to level out, the economy's doing some weird shit, that they're like, I'm going to go out and start doing marketing and business development, and they commit random acts of marketing and business development, just to check the box. I would say, uh-uh, not good enough. And it's not good enough for your investment of time. And it's certainly not a good use of the other people in your broader network with whom you're spending time with if it's not done with intention. I love that random acts of marketing. I'm going to use that. That's so good. <laughs> I love that. And people do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because you look around and it's, well, that person's doing that. I guess I have to go put an ad in the newspaper. I need to be on a television spot. I need, and you're like, yes, it's, it is. It's random acts of marketing. It is. So we started our conversation talking about being able to redefine success and have a broader definition of success. So we ask everyone, what is your personal definition of success? Oh, that I am giving my brightest and best to those who need it, to myself when I need it, and to the people that I genuinely care about. That's it. I think for sure you gave your brightest and best to us today, and I cannot thank you enough. This was such a great conversation. If anyone does want to continue chatting with you or has found, like I said, as many great nuggets as you have shared and wants to kind of continue the conversation, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, find us at growthplay.com or seek me out on LinkedIn. Send me an invitation. I am always happy to lend advice, counsel, and opinions on anything sales, business development, or marketing related. So reach out, introduce yourself, and say hello. Wonderful. I hope a lot of people do. I hope everyone got a ton of value out of this conversation. Thank you so much, Holly. This was so wonderful. It's my pleasure, Lauren, and thanks for being such a wonderful host today. This conversation with Holly has left me feeling really inspired. It's so refreshing to hear someone talk about business development in this way within the legal profession. It's really easy to fall back into that narrative that business development is only networking or it's only referrals because that's really been the traditional model. So I really appreciate her approach that it's creating intentional relationships with others. And that's certainly something I feel like I can commit to. There were so many questions she raised that I'm going to be thinking about them for some time and how to change up my business strategy and make some tweaks to how I engage with clients and potential clients down the road. Like, how can I implement the platinum rule more into my practice? What camp am I in with some of my most important clients? Am I fungible or indispensable? And how can I start investing more in those existing relationships to become indispensable? 
is there someone I need to get out of the professional friend zone with? And am I sometimes committing random acts of marketing? If this episode resonated with you, share it with someone you think would love it too. Let's keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening. Until next time. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of A Different Practice. For more from this episode, head over to adifferentpractice.com slash podcast for show notes and links to resources. If you found this episode helpful, let me know by leaving a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you're looking for even more practical tools to optimize your law practice for growth and enjoyment, be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter. The link is waiting for you at a different slash subscribe. I can't wait for you to tune in next time. Until then, keep building a different practice.